Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome to February. We are off and running in 2018, and there is no better time in this 11 year than now to learn how to fast the mind. We live in an overstimulated society, one that keeps us in endless distraction and addictions, and it is time for us to understand that the only way that we are going to empower ourselves, heal our planet, and change some of the things that are going on in the world is to change what's going on in our inner world, specifically our mental world. What is more valuable, the cup or the space within the cup? A very profound line in the book, Fasting the Mind, Spiritual Exercises for Psychic Detox by Jason Gregory. Jason has been on the show before with a couple of his other books, The Science of Humility, and uh, and others, and then he is going to be on again in April. He is pumping out some powerful books that really are rich with information, but also so profound for this time period. I'm going to start the show off reading a short passage from his book, Fasting the Mind. The epidemic of our times is not a war on terror or a war among nations and religions, nor is it any conflict between opposites that we can conceive of. It is a war so subtle that we are not even conscious of the battle being waged. It is a psychological war, a war against our mind, a war on consciousness. But this war is not being waged upon us from the outside world, at least not entirely so. The deep-down truth is that you've waged war upon yourself not intentionally, but rather due to your inability to be your true and authentic self. We're going to dive into this wonderful book that is bound to be quite profound if you are willing to give it to yourself so that you can understand some spiritual exercises for psychic detox. Jason Gregory is a teacher and international speaker specializing in the fields of Eastern and Western philosophy, comparative religion, metaphysics, and ancient cultures. He is the author of The Science and Practice of Humility and Enlightenment Now, along with Fasting the Mind, which is out, and another book that will be coming out uh, later this year that we will mention at the end of the show. Welcome, Jason. Wonderful to have you back on 1111 Talk Radio. It's a pleasure to be back on, Simran. I I always enjoy our conversations. (laughs) They're always deep, and they always tend to be uh, exactly some places that I have been, and so it was really wonderful to read through this book and and truly understand it um, from a place of integration and expansion and loving the practice of fasting the mind as often as I can. And so I'm excited <laughs> to share this with individuals because we do live in a society that doesn't know how to stop, and our technology keeps us overstimulated. Our sensory uh, side is always active, and we are constantly drawn to the outer world, constantly invited to experience more, more, more. So talk a little bit about some of the philosophies, some of the teachers, some of the research that went behind this book so that we have a basis of understanding that this is nothing new. This is some of the ancient sciences that, that have been known for eons as to what we need to do, and it's time to bring that back. Yeah, sure. Well, it, you know, it all starts back in the East, you know, thousands of years ago. So if we go back into the Vedic culture in, in the Indus Valley, there was the philosophy of fasting the mind, or we could say mind fasting, started there where we had the – because of the, the caste system with the original Vedic culture, a lot of uh, um, people who fulfilled their – their social duties and so forth and so on would leave society, you know, to be a, become a forest sage or, a, you know, a, a renunciate. And, you know, uh, philosophy started amongst these sort of people, which started with this idea in Sanskrit called neti neti, not this, not this. And what this means is going down deep within. It doesn't mean not the body or, or not, you know, not speaking about specifically external object. It 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 really means not the, the contents within our mind, or not, not the perspective that our mind has a tendency to, to discern between this and that. 
And that was really the point in the ancient East. A lot of our problems and a lot of our suffering comes from the perspective of we're always dissecting reality into two. And this this is the, the, the function of the intellect, um, which is not in itself a bad thing. But what happens is when we build a culture and society that only emphasizes on this, then this is where a lot of suffering arises from. So, you know, we, especially in the modern day, we, we're told to enhance our intellect. We're told to, you know, develop an identity, develop our, you know, chisel our mind in a certain way to become a specific person and so forth and so on and continually absorb information as if, as if this is the way to freedom when all this is doing is, is leading us down the path of stress, anxiety, depression, and, you know, and uh, other mental health issues as well. So this this was also a problem back in those ancient times. So in those Vedic cultures, they would they would separate themselves from society. They would shut away, you know, all external stimuli, so to speak. So, you know, not being overly stimulated by society, um, especially what we take in through our eyes and ears. And also to the point where they are starting to understand their own mind on a subtle level. Like I said, starting to understand that, that neti neti, that not this, like not when your mind lands on an object, for example, you know, we, we often, when we land on an object, we discern what it is. We say, oh, that's a phone or that's a computer, that's Simran. And, you know, we have all of these things where we, we, we cut reality up into pieces when we actually miss the beauty of it. And this is, this happens, this enhances the analytical mind. And, and this is where a lot of the problems begin. So, you know, this, and the actual term fasting the mind or mind fasting came from a great, the great Taoist sage Zhuangzi. In the, in the text of Zhuangzi, there's a classic story where Yanwei is actually Zhuangzi is, the mouthpiece of Zhuangzi in this story is Confucius. He wouldn't be usually that favorable of Confucius, but in this sense, Confucius plays the sage and his disciple or his friend is called Yanwei. And Yanwei wants to, he wants to transform this, this unruly, unruly king in, in Western China, who's, you know, terrible to the people. He treats them badly and, you know, he's very gluttonous and so forth and so on. So Yanwei wants to go out there and he wants to, you know, transform him, and he's got all of these these schemes to make him benevolent and everything like this, and and Confucius um, continually shoots him down, saying, "No, that's you know that's going to lead to disaster. You know, you're thinking too much about 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 this, about trying to transform him." It's a young way. He goes, "Well, what should I do? You know, you know, if I've done all of this, what else can I do?" And he said, "You must fast." And Yanwei says, I always fast. You know, I, I, I don't drink wine. I don't drink meat um, spe- for specific times in the year. And he said, no, no, that's the fasting of the body. What you need to do is undergo the fasting of the mind. And what, what he means by that is when you've taken away all uh, external distraction, when you've, when you've taken away all the contents of your mind and you've um, sort of, in a sense, disassociated with it so you can see it from a different perspective – um, you, you can discriminate between your thoughts, your feelings and emotions and your pure awareness, then only then can you start to be useful and transform other people. Otherwise, you're just imposing your will on other people. So that's on the very subtle level of fasting the mind. So the actual practice is to get down to that deep level, but the only way we can get down to that deep level is when we begin to take away all of the external, not all of the external stimuli, but, you know, what we usually take in through our eyes and ears, we have to remember as a kind of food. You know, we are, we are kind of nourishing ourselves and, and, and planting things in our mind on a subtle level. And when we continually do that, it's hard for us to get down to that deep level that the, the ancient East were talking about because, you know, our mind is so agitated. We're living on, we're living on the realm of, you know, what's the next like on Facebook and, you know, all of this agitation that we have in the modern world, which is leading us down the path of, you know, stress, anxiety, and uh, mental health issues. So, Jason, I want to start first by kind of going to both ends of the spectrum in terms of helping people understand that this is not about ascension, that this is not about a goal of lifting us out of the body and away from 
the world, nor is it about some type of accolade or attainment amidst this world. Mm. It, it really is about being in the world, but not of it. Can you exactly. talk a little bit about how we are here to be with the world, feel the world, allow the world to come inside, but not have it control us or take over our minds? Talk a little bit about that. Excellent. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, you know, this this sort of idea can go back to, again, back to Zhuangzi, where he would say that, you know, for example, Lao Tzu, the oldest Taoist teacher, might might uh, recommend that we do leave society. He might say, look, leave society. You know, it's full of full of hypnosis. It's full of delusion. It's better to get away from it and shut yourself off from it. When Zhuangzi would say that that's kind of the wrong approach, he would say that, you know, you're kind of still running away from the world without learning about it, learning about yourself and so forth and so on. So he would say it's better to stay within the world and try to have a mind like, you know, if you keep a fasted mind, then when you keep a fasted mind, what happens is you can move through the world uh, effectively without the world kind of clinging to you or sticking to your mind. You know, in Zen they talk about the beauty of having an unstuck mind, meaning that you know nothing sort of sticks to you, but you're moving through it effectively enough to, to make an impact. And so, Zhuangzi would say, don't run away from the world, but stay within it. You know, this is this is actually where the the, the first idea came from, Simran, the, the idea of you know being in the world but not of it. That that came actually from the Zhuangzi originally, and he would say, stay within it. But what you should do is, he would he would recommend that. You don't have to run away, but what you do have to do is probably refrain from the motives that drive society. You know, so obviously, you know, the, our culture now is built on a lot of lust, greed, um, what have you, that drives the society and, you know, materialism, social status, and these things are, are kind of really empty in themselves, really. But he would say that's not really important. What's important is that you stay within it and you begin to you know you learn more about yourself actually when you're in when you're within a society than you do when you actually run away from it um he's not saying that it's you know we don't want to start going around condemning people who do run away from it but Zhuangzi does have a point that we do learn a lot about ourselves when we stay within it and also it does enhance our ability to fast the mind in, in a sense because we're not just taking the easy route and just going up into a mountain we're actually staying in with within the world, but we're transforming it because we are doing the work within ourselves to transform our transform our own mind. So, you know, that's a difficult approach because it's not that easy to walk through the world these days and have a mind that's not stuck anywhere. But if we can begin the spiritual work, then um, then that's what leads to that. But yeah, like you said, this this has got really nothing in the sense to do with. Um, ascension or you know I speak about enlightenment within this book but I would say look let's look at this practice as the most healthy solution to what to the world that we're living in right now with all with the speed the intensity you know our attraction to stimuli this is the perfect solution um, to what you know we're encountered by in the world so just start with the actual practice and start with you know, approaching the world that way with a fasted mind, with not, you know, with not imposing your will upon the world, but just going with it in the sense that, you know, in the drums, they kind of talk about, they don't really speak about it, but they speak it in, in a humoristic way of a, of a sort of the joker in the pack, like the genuine pretender, which means not, you're actually not really pretending, but you're, you're not, um, you don't believe actually in the social role that you're enacting. You know that's just a role. But your but your but your true self, in a sense, is always from this zero perspective, and so that makes you that gives you the skill to move through the world and and not be stuck by, you know, the hypnosis and the delusion of, of our culture. You possess the cure within yourself, but it is not some form of magic, hypnosis, or trickery. 
it is actually a natural way of life that we must come back into resonance with. Stop planning, stop comparing, stop competing, stop thinking, and just breathe deeply. Our undivided attention is something we are rarely able to give for reasons ranging from digital overload to the cultural conditioning of equating busyness with purpose. Just as you might choose a fast from eating to detoxify the body, the best way to overcome this modern mental overload is to periodically fast the mind. The method and practice born in the East is known as fasting the mind, and it directly impacts the habits and tendencies of our subconscious, which in turn affects our lifestyle. You can find out more about this in Jason Gregory's book, which these words came from, and it is titled Fasting the Mind, Spiritual Exercises for Psychic Detox. It's definitely worth the read. It is timely, and it is something that every person needs right now, especially if you're doing too much multitasking. We'll be right back with Jason Gregory right after these messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, 1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at IamSimran.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. I want to invite you to explore the current issue of 1111 Magazine. There are some powerful articles, some prayers, forgiveness statements, intentions, and introductions to individuals around the globe that are stepping into their power and sharing their gifts of creativity and inspiration. So definitely check it out. It is always free, always available at 1111mag.com. In addition, it is now on audio, and the audio version has additional audio meditations, intentions, and life coaching for $97 for the year. So if you would like some additional life enhancement and support, I urge you to check that out as well. 
My guest today is Jason Gregory, and you can find out more about him at jasongregory.org. All of his retreats, his events, his other books are listed there, as well as many videos that will help you take in pieces bite by bite. He is the author of The Science and Practice of Humility, as well as Enlightenment Now, and the book that we're discussing today called Fasting the Mind. He is also releasing this April another book termed uh, Effortless Living, so he is bringing out some powerful wisdom into the world. The need for speed is suicide. Just stop everything that you're doing right now. Stop thinking, stop planning, stop competing, stop comparing, and just breathe deeply for a minute. We feel that if we're not doing something, then we have no purpose, and so we become anxious and stressful. We're trying to achieve one thing after another, after another, after another, with no end in sight. We become addicted to doing without truly knowing how to relax our mind deeply. That is what this book is about, Fasting the Mind, Spiritual Exercises for Psychic Detox. Welcome back, Jason. I want to talk a little bit about how we are conditioned into this way of living that we often don't even realize it. You have um, a couple of paragraphs that I want to share uh, with individuals in regard to this war that we wage against ourselves, and it is caused by overfilling our cup. You say that we pack everything into our life, leaving no time for our mind to truly rest. We bombard our mind from every direction. And the excessive busyness from multitasking all day with digital devices everywhere incessantly and mindlessly chatting all day keeps us in a state of hypnosis that replicates sleep. That we are spinning psychologically out of control because of the multitasking. And that this comes from uh, uh, how we have been conditioned to do a lot of hard work to make ourselves busy, busy, busy as a way that we have been taught by our parents and our caregivers. Talk a little bit about this global panic attack and what that multitasking does to our own uh, nervous system, our own uh, behaviors, and how it tends to impact our own health and aging. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, yeah, we've all we've all bought into this idea that you know, if we just get get going, you know, and we're busy, 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 then success and health and sanity and everything is down the end of the road, end of that road. But you know, as we all know, you know, after living life for a certain amount of time, that that's not really the case for all of us. You know, and I see this phenomenon now in the modern day, where a lot of people are attracted to you know a lot of entrepreneurs who say you know go out there and get it and all you've got to do is work hard, work, 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 and, and success is yours. And, you know, there is some truth to that to a certain degree, but we have to remember that not everyone's, you know, psychological framework, not everyone's, you know, uh, biology, not everyone's, you know, just their natural tendencies are geared that way. There are some people in the world who can be like, you know, for example, uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon. He can just work night and day. You know, night and day he's working, and hence that's why he has probably the wealth and that that he does because he's just a notorious worker. Now, does it, does that mean that he is a peaceful and sane individual? You know, that's I don't know him personally, but that's something that we got to pull into question, then, isn't it? Because you know, we do know stories of all of these entrepreneurs. You know, they can be pretty wired and pretty, you know, out of control because they're so fixated on their goal that they will you know, harm relationships um, or whatnot because that they're secondary to what to what their vision is. And so we've taken on this, most people take on this view that, okay, we've got to succeed at, at all costs. And that means just working hard and depleting our nervous system, getting busy, you know, filling our minds full of noise and our, like, like I use that terminology in the, in the book about the, the full mind cup. And then, you're left with no space within your mind that actually, you know, that's where a lot of things come from. That's where a lot of intuitive cr- creativity comes from. That's where great ideas come from as well. Like, for example, the idea of Amazon would have came spontaneously to the mind of Jeff Bezos, not with filling his mind full up of, um, you know, ideas about what he should do for a life. So, you know, what we're doing is essentially is because we've bought hook, line and sinker this idea um, of getting busy and succeeding is we're naturally depleting ourselves. We're depleting our energies. We're 
we're actually, in a sense, destroying our mind because, you know, even when we look at the, our cognitive framework, our, our mind our mind is analog. It's not digital. And so we're looking at the mind as if it's, it's this digital processor, like a computer, and it can just, you know, access information, just download software and and regurgitate it out, and this is how the mind works. But the mind is not like that. The mind is a very analog um, meaning that it's not a multitasker. You know, we function the optimally when we do one task at a time. And, you know, the irony is, is that when you look at a lot of successful entrepreneurs, um, a lot of them got to where they are because they don't multitask. They do one task at a time very thoroughly and they move in this direction. And this, and this goes for anyone, even in creativity. Like if you look, you would know this yourself, Simran, like as, as a writer, it's very important to do one thing at a time than having a lot of things just sprayed on the wall where you're, you know, doing many things and you actually don't achieve anything that way. So, you know, when we do multitask and we do throw our energy everywhere and we've got our energy going everywhere, we've got the smartphone on, we've got the laptop on, we're having a communi- we're having a conversation with somebody on Skype, we're drinking a coffee, we're doing all of these things that the mind can't process properly and and, you know, because the mind is analog, the mind's a step-by-step process. So what this does conversely is that when we look at the science of the nervous system, um, the, the autonomic nervous, nervous system, right, is built up of um, two, two systems. Um, there's the sympathetic nervous system and there's the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, the sympathetic nervous system is what we access when we're continually active. So we're doing, we're doing this, we're doing that. Even when we're thinking about things, we're, we're accessing the sympathetic nervous system. So, you know, a lot of people think a lot and this this makes us, in a sense, very anxious, very stressful when we when we overemploy it. And so the, the world that we've made, uh, designed, has been to only access the par- uh, access the sympathetic nervous system um, because you know in in, edu- in our education system they promote us to study do homework go to school um, you know all these things always be active and never have any time to rest now a lot of people will say yeah but we sleep now this brings me to the other part of the system which is the parasympathetic nervous system which we, we can call the rest and digest system and this is the system where um, is activated in deep relaxation. Now, a lot of people will say, yeah, but I do sleep, um, you know, six to eight hours a night or something like this, and so I'm accessing the parasympathetic nervous system. And you are, in a sense, but the problem is is that when we look at the, the, the nervous system itself, we need to access the parasympathetic nervous system in our waking hours because it, it offsets um, our our sympathetic nervous system. This is why, this is why actually, for example, meditation enhances uh, cognitive ability and our intellectual capacities. Um, this is why we have these. And Jason, phenom- I'm going to stop you right there for a second because so many people don't really understand what relaxation really means. We've even been oh, yeah. taught that relaxation is laying back on the couch with the TV on or the music playing and flipping through our phone. That's not relaxation. Talk a little bit about what real relaxation is for the body and the mind. Yeah, that's a good point, Simon. Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of people will say, yeah, I'm just going to finish work and going to go home and tune, you know, veg out in front of the television and, you know, eat an unhealthy meal or some snacks or something like this. And and in doing so, like, for example, if you if you go home and you sit down in front of the couch, uh, you, sit, you sit on the couch in front of the TV or in front of your laptop, you're still actually accessing the sympathetic nervous system. So your body is not is your body and mind is not in a actually in a state of relaxation. It's still in uh, agitated state because you're you're consuming a certain food and this food is going in through your eyes and ears, which is agitating your mind, which hence you're not accessing the parasympathetic nervous system and you're not truly relaxing. So to truly relax is is to actually shut all of those external stimulants off now that that doesn't mean that you just sit in meditation all night it just means that you 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 can just sit there present and you know even if you're bored you know embrace the boredom i talk about that in the book embrace the boredom 
but take out that external stimuli. You know, it's it's okay to have a conversation with your husband or your wife. You know what I mean, or or something like this. That's a very natural face-to-face contact, as long as it doesn't get into, you know, long-winded chit-chats or something like this, because you'd still be accessing the sympathetic nervous system. But we have to really get into the mode of, okay, I need to just just sit there and be present for certain moments of the day without taking in any input. And a lot of people think that's boring, but that's actually the way that, you know, if we're going to live this super busy life, we have to have these sections of time where we do that. Otherwise, we're just going to keep going down this path of, you know, mental illness, depression, schizophrenia, all of these things that are... Uh, results of a, a super busy world so we have to really nourish this deep relaxation and you know meditation Sorry, let me stop you right there as well uh, when we're talking about boredom that's a really important point because we're even growing up in a society in regard to our children we're having them grow up in a society where we're trying to keep them very busy all the time whether it is extracurricular activities or um, keeping them busy enough so that they don't bother or whatever parents do these days. Um, but the boredom actually serves us. That It's actually good for us as well as our kids to have these spaces where we are completely and utterly bored because it allows it allows thoughts to come up. It allows us to know what we're feeling. It allows us to tap into sensations. Um, and perhaps as a step before meditation, talk a little bit about how boredom can be utilized as uh, one of the methods to help us get to a place where we can fast the mind. Yeah, it's a great point. It's like what you said, like just just embracing boredom and sitting there and we, we do start to become conscious and aware of these thoughts that are actually driving our actions and driving our motives and, and all of these things. But we can only really sense that if we just sit with the boredom. And, you know, we need to remember that boredom in a sense is a is a feeling or a response to our nervous system being overstimulated. So when it's overstimulated and then you take everything out or or it's or there is nothing there for to, to stimulate it, you have this sort of lag which is the which is the boredom. So obviously if you can embrace the boredom and you can you can work through it and and stick with it, then that will also enhance uh, meditative states of consciousness because you know you are going into a state um, that you are working through a state that is accustomed to filling the mind cup up. So, you know, the problem with uh, boredom is as soon as we feel boredom, we always have a sense to fill up whatever that boredom is. Oh, I'm bored, you know, what's on TV or I'm bored or, you know, or or if a child says they're bored, we'll, we'll do anything to, to so so they not don't annoy us, you know, so we'll give them a toy or, or something like this. So obviously it's if we embrace the boredom, we start to, become conscious of our thoughts and our feelings and, the, and our energetic system and our, and our, and our sensorium, our, actually our sensory system. And so we can then begin to enter deeper states of meditation that have a chance then of actually fundamentally transforming us. So, you know, that onus is all on us to embrace instead of just at night filling our cup up and, and running away from boredom. You know, boredom is very important for all of us to embrace and, you know, that, like you said, that, that's, a, that's a good start or a good beginning to go deeper into a meditative practice as well. Neti neti can be misunderstood to relate to the negation of the body and physical world rather than the renunciation of the mental content, habits, and activity that make up our temporary persona. Drawing on the spiritual philosophies and meditative practices of classical yoga, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism, Jason Gregory explains how fasting the mind directly impacts your habits and way of being in the world to create peace and calmness in your life, as well as allow you to build a firm psychological defense against the increasing bombardment of distractions in our world. Applying psychology and cognitive science to samsara which is the cycle of suffering created by our attachment to the impermanent. He explains how over-reliance on the rational mind causes imbalances in the autonomic nervous system and suppresses our natural spontaneity, feelings, and intuition. When we are unable to relax the mind deeply, 
We enter a destabilizing state of stress and anxiety and are unable to liberate the true self from the impermanence and limitations of the material world. You can find out more about Fasting the Mind, Spiritual Exercises for Psychic Detox by Jason Gregory, along with his other books, The Science and Practice of Humility and Enlightenment Now, at his website, jasongregory.org. We'll be right back after these messages. up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine, Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I am Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great, have more energy, sleep better, gently detox. Lose unhealthy weight and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The vision of oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. Visionofoneness.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Jason Gregory, and if you're not familiar with him, you may want to discover some of his books. They truly are powerful, and they have a lot of valuable information, both from his wisdom and the wisdom of others. He puts a lot of his time and energy, as well as presence, into the books that he creates, and they're definitely books that will impact your life. Uh, He has other radio shows. If you want to go back into the archives, we have discussed his books, The Science and Practice of Humility, as well as Enlightenment Now on 1111 Talk Radio. And today we're discussing fasting the mind, which is definitely a place that most of the world probably could use some help in going into. He also has another book that will be coming out in a couple of months called Effortless Living, and we will have him back on to discuss that one as well. As we learn how to fast the mind, we must also learn how to step out of conformity and get into the art of doing more nothing. And that episode will help you to understand that. Again, his website is jasongregory.org, and you can find out more about his events, his retreats, and he has a ton of videos on there that give you some bite-sized pieces on a lot of information. So go sign up for his newsletter and learn more about Jason Gregory from his book, Fasting the Mind. 
Samskara in Sanskrit means mental impressions or subliminal psychological imprints that are latent within our unconscious mind. We develop samskaras unknowingly from birth, and they drive our actions, interests, and desires until the day we die. Jason, I want to talk a little bit about samskaras, and I know earlier in the book you talk about different methods of going into meditation or fasting of the mind, and one of the ones that you talk about is Vipassana, which is something that I have personally experienced myself. And the the beauty of Vipassana is you really do tap into the sensations of the body, the memory of the body that's in there, and that presence allows those samskaras to lift the more you can just be present with that. Talk a little bit about uh, how we come in with these imprints that help to lay out what our life is like and how fasting the mind helps us to more easily lift our samskaras as well as our karma that we are creating while we're in this life. A good point, uh, Simran. Yeah, and like we said, Vipassana is, is a great method for for fast is a great fasting the mind method that actually digs into um, samskaras and you know samskaras like what you said is basically they're the mental impressions and the subliminal uh, psychological imprints that we we all take in that you know become our some our subconscious and drive our and drive our life and a lot of this comes in through you know that's why they're called mental impressions they come in through our eyes and our ears and it makes up our kind of psychological framework um, our kind of template that we superimpose onto the world and you know we navigate through the world with this you know this subconscious framework that we have deep within ourselves and and what samskaras then do is samskaras drive our vasanas and vasanas in sanskrit actually means habitual ways or latent tendencies and then uh, vasanas drive our, our karma our action and in this sense we've got to think about karma in the sense of how we unconsciously react to the world too so you know so for example We've all had an experience where we react a certain way to certain situations all the time, over and over and over again. And so, um, the 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 job is when we look at the science of the mind in in the East, which is you know the frame the the wheel of samsara framework of samskaras, vasanas, and karma, is we have to kind of turn that wheel back in on itself, meaning that you can't really actively like, for example, like what you said with with vipassana. If you sit there, you do the ten-day course and this and that, then you you do start to dig into that that samskara level and begin to alleviate a lot of those. Uh, a lot of that's not a lot of it, but we begin to alleviate parts of that subconscious that have been driving our our habits and and our actions. But one one way, well, one of the most sophisticated methods to to go to turn to transform our samskaras is to begin on the outer level. So, okay, we have to kind of transform the way we act in the world. And so how this, how this happens is I speak about specific tools in the book. Um, I call it the, the science of healing, the wheel of samsara. And basically there's two specific tools. There's uh, vivika in Sanskrit, which is discrimination, the ability to um, discriminate in your mind, um, to catch yourself before you actually um, act in a certain way, you know, so you have developed that faculty within your mind that you can discern when your mind or your thoughts are acting a certain way. And instead of acting on the thought, we, we begin to show a little bit of distance from that. And then the other part of that, the second mind fasting tool is vairagya, which is, means uh, non-reaction. So this is very important, um, especially when we talk about karma, because our actions, if you can, if you can not react, to a certain situation, then what that does is it transforms that action, and in a sense, um, transforms that habit that that you know that's the usual uh, transforms that tendency that we usually do towards that that action. So then you're starting to dig into the vasana level, and then when you start to transform then your habits, then you're starting to transform on a deep level um, out, out your subconscious. So you know the work is not easy because we've developed so much. We all develop so much within our subconscious daily. You know, it, we 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 have already so much in the in the in the basement, and we keep throwing in more luggage, and we're not letting any luggage out. That's sort of what's what's happening at the moment with all of us. So, 
we need to really start this practice of implementing Vivika and Vairagya in our ordinary life to, you know, begin to to alleviate all of that that storage we have in the samskaras. And, and like what you said, Simran, Vipassana is a great method to start. And even if you wanted to do Vipassana for longer than 10 days, it, it'll have, uh, you know, even a, a, a deeper effect as well. But the more we do this, the more we practice that um, method, the more we get down. Like what you said, when you practice Vipassana, you're getting down into the sensorium, that memory uh, between the the mind and the body the matrix of our nervous system and then that's when we begin to do a lot of um you know a lot of what, what, what could we say karmic surgery on ourselves so you know yes and it, stepping out of our lives i know that my own experience even prior to vipassana was literally stopping for a very long period of time months and months and months and doing mm. nothing and we tend to send a shockwave through our our mind, our body, and our system by doing so because we, we start to feel and we, we understand what the body's holding and we allow ourselves to shift something. You talk a lot about cognition in the book and you talk about cold and hot cognition. I'd love for you to explain a little bit about that um, and, and what parts are affected uh, by our intellectual mind and what parts are affected by the meditation uh, space that we can go into when it comes to cognition and the evolution of it. Excellent. Well, yeah, like you said, there's two systems um, within cognitive science. There's the cold system, and the cold, cold cognition is um, found within the prefrontal cortex of, of our brain, so in the front part, and, that, and that's kind of the the analytical mind, that's where the intellect, you know, discerns between this and that, um, good and bad, right and wrong, and so forth and so on. And then you have the hot cognition, which is which is found in the more unconscious regions of the brain, and that's um, the more holistic and natural uh, cognition. So, you know, for example, if you, to think about the hot cognition, you don't have to think about opening and closing your hand. You can just do it. There's, there's just something about it. You can just do it, you know. And this this is where more of the intuitive mind is driven from is the, is the hot cognition, the spontaneous, natural mind. And, you know, both of these are enhanced in different in different parts of the world. For example, when, when the East and the West evolved, and if I look at China specifically, um, you know, or India, ancient India or China, back in the day, back 2,500 years ago, uh, the way that the environment was is that it was better for us to be in groups um, because the main source of food was rice cultivation. So as time wore on, when you're in a group activity, there is not really much use for the cold cognition, the, the, the analytical part of the mind, because what's important is is not self-interest, but the, the interest of the community. So that's more of a holistic um, perspective. And, you know, the irony is, is that a lot of Eastern philosophies are holistic philosophies. They, they, they speak about, you know, unity of life, unity of, of, of human beings, um, being one with the cosmos and God and so forth and so on. Whereas if we look at the same time in, the, in Greece, that Greece, because of um, the environment, everyone was spread out all along the Mediterranean. So um, the main source of uh, food was, you know, um, fish, herding. Um, there was all of these individual tasks that we didn't need large amounts of, of people. So naturally what happened was the analytical part of the mind was enhanced more, um, meaning the, the cold cognition. And hence the West is a very analytical, intellectual uh, cognitive style and you know we have to get out of this way of thinking that there is this one universal uh, way of thinking in the world this has been debunked it's a myth especially when you look in, um, to cognitive science we see that there are between the east and the west there are and and you could even go into um, indigenous cultures and, and, and modern still modern tribal cultures there's different cognitive styles and specifically between the east and the west there's the West is much more of an analytical mind and the East is a holistic mind. And this is why you see kind of frictions between, for example, if you go to somewhere like uh, South Korea, where South Korea has kind of taken on the American way of life, which is very analytical, but there's a big friction in their mind, a big friction uh, in, in the culture um, 
as to the way that they should be. And, and you know, I don't want to dive too far deep into that, but they're, they're, this is the reasons why there is. And, and, and conversely, that's why um, some Westerners take Eastern philosophy in, in a very analytical way and not in a holistic way. So what this ends up doing, right, is if we look at this, if we, because we've, We've built a world that's focused just on the cold cognition at the moment. We've built a world that only over-employs the analytical part of the mind. And what this does is it, it depletes your system. Like, So, f- for example, the base of our base of our cognitive framework is the hot cognition. The, the later I'm going to stop you right there, Jason, because we're running out of time. And uh, if people okay. want to know more, they must get this book, Fasting the Mind. The experience of the embodied mind is what is known as Wu Wei, which means effortless action, non-doing, and ultimately a psychological state of no force. It is a state of consciousness at complete ease and moves gracefully and efficiently. The state of Wu Wei could be best explained as intelligent spontaneity. The embodied mind is a higher state of consciousness that experiences life with the totality of being rather than being centered in either body hot cognition or mind cold cognition. Living from the embodied mind state reduces the cold cognition from a stiff person who opposes the world to its natural function, which is purely a way to interface with the world without allowing those experiences to cling to one's being, creating samskaras. In other words, before enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. After enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. Find out more about Jason Gregory at jasongregory.org. Definitely pick up his book, Fasting the Mind, Spiritual Exercises for Psychic Detox. And while you're ordering that, order his next book, Effortless Living, so that you can get into the art of Wu Wei as well. Until next week, I am Simran. In love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey. 